Well, while they're filing out, let me remind you that we, uh, two weeks ago, we started this series that's going to carry us right up to Easter. And uh, this series is about the life of Jesus. And uh, we're going to look at the life of Jesus through the gospel of Mark. And it's, here's, here's the reason that we're doing this, because we talk about being Christians, Christ ones. We talk about being followers of Jesus. And it seems to me that if we're really serious about being followers of Jesus, then we want to know everything that we possibly can about him. Uh, and if we're really serious about this idea of who he is, that, that we don't want to miss anything, that we want to learn about him, we want to grow, uh, we, we want to find out, we want our lives to look like Jesus. That's what happens to a follower uh, of someone, that they begin to look and act like that person. And so we believe that, that Jesus is the Christ. We believe that God sent his only son to earth to show us how to live then he died for us so that we might have life, that we might have forgiveness, so that we might be forgiven of our, our sin, our rebellion, that Jesus rose again from the grave, that he ascended to heaven, and then he promised us that he would send his spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ, to live in his followers, to change us from the inside out, to make us new on the inside, and so because we believe in that, it makes sense that we would wanna know everything we can about Jesus. So we're gonna follow the life of Jesus and the Gospel of Mark is gonna take us right to Easter and we're gonna celebrate the resurrection of Christ together. This morning though, we're gonna look at a couple of really interesting stories in the life of Christ out of, beginning in Mark, the second chapter, and the 18th verse. So join me as I read here. It says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and, he said to, and said to him, why do John's disciples fast and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So the picture we have is, is Jesus' disciples, and it's a Sabbath day, and they're walking through the fields, and, and apparently the Pharisees were fasting, and John the Baptist's uh, followers were fasting, but Jesus isn't fasting. His disciples aren't fasting. They're eating um, as they go. And here's what Jesus says. He, he says in verse 19, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. And so Jesus is offering this teaching, and if you're just reading it, it might be one of those places that you kind of read and go, okay, I'm just going to go to the next thing, you know, because I don't... You know, this, my mind's exploding, or I don't quite get what's, what, what he's talking about here. But let's just think for a second that if you lived in the first century, you know, they didn't have plastic water bottles that they'd throw in their backpacks and, and carry with them. Um, they they uh, had wine skins that they made that they would put wine in. Now, we have all kinds of things, you know. We have, um, we have water bottles. We have, you know, Diet Dr. Pepper. We have different things, thank you, uh, that we... Put, that we carry around with us, but in, if you lived in the first century, you would have a goat skin, 
and that you would put your wine in the goat skin. And here's the theory that, that the, the, a new wine skin, a new goat skin, when you put the wine in, the wine would ferment and it would expand and the new goat skin would expand with it. But if you put new wine in a goat skin that had already expanded, an old one, when that wine fermented, it would get too big for the wineskin and it would burst and you'd have the proverbial mess, right? Uh, that's the idea that he's talking about. Jesus is challenging the, the Pharisees. He's challenging those religious leaders. He's saying that I've come to do something new, that you have, you have lived your life but putting a patch on something that you already have. The Pharisees were famous for keeping religious order. They were famous for keeping the rules. They were famous for how conservative they were in, in keeping those rules. And Jesus said, I've come not about the rules, but I've come to remind you of what you've forgotten that it's always been about a relationship and so I'm going to do something new I'm going to show you something new in the same way when he talked about the cloth uh, you can imagine this that you put a patch on your old Levi's and uh, and and I know that now you just pay extra to have a patch on them when you buy them but let's just say that you put a new piece of cloth on your old Levi's that have already been washed a hundred times, they've already shrunk, but you put a new piece of cloth on those Levi's, when you wash them the next time, that new piece of cloth is naturally going to shrink, and what's gonna happen, it's gonna tear, and you'll have a worse hole than you had before. Jesus is saying, when you try to just patch me into your life, when you just try to add me on to the rest of your life, it's gonna create a bigger hole. It never works that I've come to bring something brand new. You see, we, we love buffet-style Jesus. We love cafeteria Jesus. We love to go through the line and take the parts of Jesus that we like and leave the vegetables, leave the stuff that we don't like. And so we love to go through and say, yeah, I love this about Jesus. I like this about Jesus. No, I don't really want anything to do with that about Jesus. I'm just adding Jesus to my life. I'm adding Jesus to the parts of my life that really need help. And what we think about following Jesus is that the goal of Jesus is to make me a better version of me. And what Jesus said is, I didn't come to do that. I came to make you a new person. I came to transform you from the inside out. I've come to do something in your life that you could never do on your own. The Pharisees were great at following the rules, but they were horrible at a relationship with God of the universe. And Jesus came and said, I came to restore that relationship. I didn't come to just be an add-on, a patch into your life. Jesus didn't simply come to patch our lives, but he came to give us completely new ones. And there's a great verse for that in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, one of the old prophets, Ezekiel 11:19. This is what that, this is what it says. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put with uh, a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Jesus is saying, I'm going to take that old hardened heart and I'm going to replace it with a brand new one. I'm going to completely change you on the inside out. All of those things that you hold on to, all of those things that you think matter, I'm going to take those things and I'm going to give you a brand new life, a brand new start. That's why the Apostle Paul, in one of the verses that if you're fairly regular, you will remember because of my gift of repetition, 2 Corinthians 
5.17, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Not a patched up creation, not a better version creation, but a new creation, something brand new. And, and then he says, the old has passed away and behold, the new has come. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, Jesus is saying, you don't just patch me on to what you're already doing. You just don't plug me in to what you already have going on, but you become a follower of me when you give your life to me and you allow me to make you a new creation, when you allow me to change you from the inside out, to do my work in your life, when you give yourself to me. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that's where the rub was coming with the, the religious leaders. They, they didn't want to hear that. So the story continues. There's another story I want us to look at in Mark, the third chapter. And, and it goes like this. And he entered the synagogue, and there was a man there with a withered hand. And they, meaning the religious leaders, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal them on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. So here's the setting. Jesus is in the, in the district of Galilee and he goes into a synagogue. Now there's one temple in Israel and that's in Jerusalem. But in all of the other towns and villages, they would have synagogues. All you needed were uh, 10 adult males and you could form your own synagogue. So in all of these towns and villages, there were these small synagogues. Jesus on the Sabbath enters one of those synagogues and we find out that in there, here's a man who has a withered hand. And it says that the religious leaders who were watching Jesus, the religious leaders who disagreed with him doing anything on the Sabbath, they were waiting to see what he would do for that man so they would have something to accuse him. Well, here's what happens. And Jesus, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save life, or to kill. But they were silent. They don't respond. They don't say anything to Jesus. They're waiting to see what he's going to do. And listen to what happens. Verse 5 says, And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of, their, of the heart. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Jesus has come. He says the kingdom is near. And there are people who should know. There are people who should recognize them. They've been waiting for hundreds of years for the Messiah to come. But they, when he comes, they're so caught up into their rules. They're so caught up in the rituals. They're so caught up in the power that they have and the relationship they, that they have in the community that they miss the very person they've been waiting for for hundreds of years. They miss Jesus coming. After all those years of waiting, all those years of, of celebrating, all of those years of praying, when Jesus finally gets there, they're so caught up in their world that they miss him. They miss the Messiah. Here's part of the problem is that this whole idea of, of doing something good on, on the Sabbath. The Sabbath comes from a Hebrew word, Shabbat. It means to cease. It means to stop to rest, that God established the Sabbath. Remember in Genesis when God had created the world and, he, and everything in it and he said, this is good. And then on the seventh day, he rested. We get the word Sabbath from that rest, that day of rest, that he stopped his labor. 
And in Exodus, Moses tells the children of Israel that on the seventh day, they'll stop. There'll be no working from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday is their Sabbath, and there'll be no work. There'll be rest. That what they're to do is to get rest, to get refocused, to give God thanks for all of his provision, to be reminded of God's goodness in their lives. So it's a day to be with God and to be with their family. But what's happened over hundreds of years is that then the Sabbath becomes this day of rest that means, well, here are all the things that you can't do. So there's 39 categories. By the first century, there's 39 categories of things that you can't do on the Sabbath. It has to do with how many steps that you can walk on the Sabbath, how you can twine um, rope or, or untie rope, uh, how you can put string together or undo string. All of these rules, all of these things that the Sabbath had gotten so complex that nobody really knew what to do or, or what it was about. And it became this, this mess, this tasteless mess of, of just trying to obey the rules. And Jesus said, that's not why the Sabbath, we have the Sabbath at all. We didn't have the Sabbath to make it some sort of complex situation for us, but we made the Sabbath so that we could rest and we made the Sabbath so that we could focus back on God, so that we could look at God, so that we could know God. And somehow over that period of time, we've forgotten what this very day was for, this day to be refocused, this day to be refocused on the Lord. And so they come, the religious leaders, they are looking for some excuse because Jesus is breaking their Sabbath laws. He's healing somebody on the Sabbath, uh, and Jesus is angry. What an interesting thing that, that the scripture tells us that Jesus is angry and he grieved their hard hearts. Here's the deal for us. When Jesus saw that they loved their rules, that they loved their lifestyle more than they loved that man, it made him angry. Because when Jesus saw that man with the withered hand, he didn't see him as a problem on the Sabbath. Jesus loved him. And his natural inclination was, how can I heal him? What can I do for him? Let's restore him. And so Jesus restored the man. And I love what he did because he didn't, uh, um, you know, when he, when he saw a leper, a leper approached him in Luke. Jesus reached out and he touched the leper who was untouchable and he healed him. There's another place where there was a blind man and Jesus spit on the ground and he made a little mud and he put it in the man's eyes. He said, now go wash this. And, and when the man did, he could see. But this time, Jesus simply says, stretch out your arm. And when he did, his arm was healed it was never about the act. It was never about the routine. It was never about the ceremony. It was always about the person. And Jesus says, here's what I care about. I care about you. I care about my relationship with you. I care about who you are. It's built around our relationship with Christ, not what we do. You see, the Pharisees thought that if they could just behave well enough and if they could obey enough rules, that they could find favor with God, that God would say, hey, you know what? You're, you're, you're better than the curve. You must be okay. And Jesus is saying it's never about obeying the rules. It's always about becoming a follower of me. It's always about allowing me to forgive you, allowing me to make you new, a new creation, to change you from the inside out. That's what we're after. That's what we're looking for. And that's what Jesus was about. That's what he wants us to understand. He wants us to understand that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. It was his idea. He created the Sabbath. He wants us to understand that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old has passed away. 
and behold, the new has come, that that's his goal in our lives, not just to make us a better version of ourselves, but to make us a new creation from the inside out. I I read a really interesting article this week about an actor named Andrew Garfield. Anybody ever heard of Andrew Garfield? Andrew Garfield starred in two big movies this year. One was called, uh, uh, what what was it called? Um, The uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge, amazing, right? Amazing movie, if you saw it. Uh, And then he he starred in another one that I haven't seen, so I'm not endorsing the film. Don't, you know, I'm not a critic. I just read this article that he he, uh, starred in a movie called Silence, in which he plays a Catholic priest. Now, here's what's interesting in this article. It says that, um, that Andrew, Andrew Garfield says this, films were really my church. That's where I felt soothed. That is where I felt most myself. But in preparing for the film, uh, for the film Silence, Garfield practiced something called the spiritual exercises of Ignatius. And although it's a Roman Catholic spiritual process, it is rich in reading the Bible and especially the four Gospels. So we don't know all that happened in Andrew Garfield's heart at this time, but here's what he says. He he says this, what was really easy was falling in love with this person, was falling in love with Jesus Christ. That was the most surprising thing I felt so bad for Jesus and angry on his behalf when I finally did meet him because everyone has given him such a bad name. So many people have given him such a horrible name and he's been used for so many dark things and like many of us beneath this longing, here's what Andrew Garfield's experiencing. He carried a deep fear. This actor carried a deep fear that he called his not-enoughness. The main thing Here's Andrew Garfield quote again. The main thing I wanted to heal that I brought to Jesus was this feeling of not enoughness. This feeling that forever longing for a perfect expression of this thing that is inside each of us. That wound of not enoughness. That wound of feeling like what I have to offer is never enough. It's pretty profound, isn't it? How often have you felt that? You see, when, when Christianity, when following Jesus becomes about keeping the rules, it, 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 it falls into more of a lifestyle and what I do to please God and what I add about God to make me feel better about myself. When it becomes about rules, then it's never enough. It's never enough to satisfy us. It's never enough to heal us. That's why Jesus said, if anyone comes to me as a new creation, that you become new, that it's the work that Christ does in our lives and what he wants to heal us from is that not enoughness in our lives. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders in the first century had missed that because they thought if they could just obey the rules enough, if they could just be good enough, they could just be strong enough, then they could find that favor with God, that they could finally find that enough. And it never worked. And it still never works in our lives because Jesus says, I want more of you than that. I want to do more in your life than that. And so Jesus gave us a prescription. Jesus said, here's, here's where rest, here's where the Sabbath comes in in your lives. And he told us this in Matthew, the 11th chapter, starting in verse 28. Here's what Jesus teaches us about rest. Come to me, all who labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you Sabbath. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Think about this. The idea of the Sabbath. It's not about conformity to rules. It's about coming to Jesus. It's about saying, Lord, I find my rest in you. Here's the picture that Jesus gave us. He he said that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And and if you lived during those times, you would know immediately the yoke that he was talking about. It's this wooden harness that was placed over oxen. And usually there were two parts. There was one, they would put the full grown ox uh, on one. They would put a younger ox in training on the smaller one. And they would do their work. They would plow their fields. They would carry their loads yoked together. And Jesus says, you know what? Sometimes in your life, you feel like the yoke is strangling you. And you feel like you can't go any further. And sometimes a burden that you're carrying feels like it, you just, your knees are about to buckle and you just can't carry any more burdens. And Jesus said, but my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here's what happens in my life. That when I feel like that the yoke that I'm carrying just is strangling me, that I, I, I'm having trouble breathing. When I feel like the burden that I'm carrying is so heavy that I can barely walk, then I have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, this must not be your burden and this must not be your yoke because you told us that your yoke was easy and that your burden was light, so somehow I've swapped out your yoke and your burden for one that I've decided that's important, for one that I've put on, and now it's weighing me down and it's choking me to death, Lord, and I need to give that back to you. I need to be yoked back into you, Lord, because it's not about how much I can carry and it's not about how much I can stand It's about being connected to Jesus. It's about being a follower of him. It's about giving him that role in my life, allowing him to take my life and make me a new creation. That's what he's looking for. That's the challenge that we have this morning. The Pharisees, the religious of the day, had forgotten the story of God was a story about relationships, not about rules. It was a story about God and not about them. We have a tendency to think that the story revolves around us, but it really revolves around the God who created us, who loves us, who wants to save us, who wants to change us. They missed the message. The religious leaders forgot that they were intended to be the light of the world. And they decided that they were children of the light and everybody that wasn't was in darkness forever. And they thought it was all about them. And Jesus said, I always intended for my people to be the light for a darkened world, a light that needed direction to find me. That's who he's called us to be. And we can forget that. We can lose that sight. Here's what Jesus said. His goal was redemption and salvation, to bring us back into a right relationship with the God who created us. He wanted to heal, to love, and restore, and he wants to do this through a relationship with us, not how well we can keep his rules. So I have a couple of, maybe a couple of questions for us this morning. One question is simply this, that what have we learned about Jesus? 
what have we learned about Jesus this morning? And then the second question is, what, what, what do we do with it? It's one thing to say, wow, that's great stuff that I, I learned this morning about who Jesus is. But the real question then is, what am I going to do about it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for that your word is true. And Lord, thank you that, that you came, that you showed up to give us life, that you've promised us life in you. And we are grateful, Lord. We thank you for that this morning. Lord, we recognize the fact that so often in our lives, we just try to patch you on to what we're already doing. We try to pick the good parts, the parts that are easy, the parts that we like, and, and try to forget the rest. But Lord, you have called us to become a new creation. You've called us to be all in. And Lord, this morning, please give us the courage to do that. Give us the courage and the desire to be all in for you. Lord, we thank you. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.